We're working through the laws of the various sacrifices that are in Leviticus. And in the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 19, the Catechism asks, how do you come to know this? How do you come to know Jesus as mediator and Jesus being a true God and true man, the one who is redeemer? And the answer is, the Holy Gospel tells me God himself began to reveal the gospel already in paradise. Later he proclaimed it by the holy patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed it by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. And finally he fulfilled it through his own beloved son. And so that section and foreshadowed it by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law is where we come to Leviticus for the next several weeks to discover from the Old Testament scriptures how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of those sacrifices, of those old covenant ceremonies of the law. And this evening we look at Leviticus chapter 2 and the laws for grain offerings. The laws for grain offerings. So we draw our attention now to the word of God. Let us now hear God's word. Leviticus chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord." But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be of fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears, roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it, and it is a grain offering. 
And the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. As far as the reading of God's word made at his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ in the first chapter of Leviticus. We looked at last Sunday evening and in the burnt offering sacrifice. The worshiper offers his life to the Lord. In that act of the burnt offering, he is offering his life to the Lord, his whole being to the Lord. That's why it's often called a whole burnt offering. The worshiper brought the animal prescribed by the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and he was accepted by the Lord. The worshiper laid his hands on the animal, identifying with the Lord, or with the animal, and the animal became his substitute. Then the worshiper slaughtered the animal, cut it in pieces, and skinned it. The priests then were the only ones allowed to take the blood of the animal and throw it on the altar, on the sides all over. It was a bloody affair. Scripture says that the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So for life, life must be shed. It shows us how sin is grotesque in the sight of God, how a holy God, how a holy God despises sin hates sin, and how a sinner then can approach him and be accepted by him, and the sinner's sin atoned for. A blood offering, a sin offering, a burnt offering is necessary. The burnt offering was accepted for him to make atonement, that is to cover divine wrath and judgment for him. And in his life, death Life and death, the Lord Jesus Christ is both the offerer, the offering, and the priest in that offering of the burnt offering. He is the one who laid down his life, shed his precious blood for the atonement of his people, to ransom his people from sin, death, and hell so that we are accepted by God. A beautiful symbolism here in Leviticus 1. But in Leviticus 2, what of the grain offering? What of this bloodless sacrifice? Was the burnt offering was an offering of one committing his whole being to the Lord. In the grain offering, one is committing the labors, his labors to the Lord. Lord, you have my life in the burnt offering Lord, in the grain offering, I'm committing the labors of my hands to you. And so in the grain offering, that's what the worshiper is offering when he offers this grain and oil and frankincense and salt, this pleasing aroma to God, symbolizing the worshiper's labors or works in the name of the Lord, and with gratitude to God. With gratitude to God. It's a sacrifice of gratitude, a sacrifice of thanksgiving, as we will see 
for God's provision and blessing. But an offering, the grain offering, to be acceptable and pleasing to God require that certain ingredients are used. The ingredients included what? Fine flour, oil, probably olive oil, salt, and frankincense, forbidding any leaven or honey. What's the significance of these these ingredients? What's the significance? Why these particular ingredients for a grain offering? There are different ways of cooking the grain or cooking the offering, and we see that in the passage there. We see it could be offered raw or uncooked. We see that it can be cooked in a pan or a griddle. Regardless of the way that it was offered, each one had to have the ingredients. The fine flour, the oil, the frankincense, the salt, no leaven or honey. So let's look at those. Let's look at the significance of these ingredients because it's important to understanding what's going on here. This is a holy food, friends. This is a holy food offered on the altar and eaten by the priests. A holy food. The significance of the fine flour. God requires perfection. Just like in the burnt offering, He required a male without blemish, a perfect bull, a perfect animal for a burnt offering. So He requires perfect flour, fine flour, wheat, finely ground wheat or barley flour, which came from the land. It is produce from the land. The worshiper worked the land, planted, tended the land. God caused the growth, blessed the people with grain. And the worshiper is bringing this offering, bringing the labors of his work with gratitude to God because God blessed them. And so so the significance of the fine flour is that God has blessed, richly blessed the people of God with flour, with the common staple of life for sustenance of life, bread, flour. And interestingly, it's for the rich and the poor. Just like in the burnt offering, you had an offering and animals that either the poor or the rich can bring before the Lord, so too here God prescribes an offering, a grain offering, where both rich and poor can offer to the Lord. Fine flour available to all. God requires that our work and labors be pure and undefiled like the fine flour from the land. And we offer our works and labors with gratitude to God. God graciously gave them the flour. And man, the worshiper, brings this flower back to God, a portion of what he received from the Lord, to worship the Lord and to give to him what is due to his name. Praise, adoration, thanksgiving. The fine flower, the fine flower 
is symbolic of perfection, of a, a perfect grain that is produced from the land by the blessing of God. And that is to be offered to the Lord. The second ingredient is oil. Oil, depending upon the way in which the grain offering was made. The oil was either mixed in with the grain and baked, or it was drizzled on or smothered on the wafers. The oil shouldn't be confused here with the anointing oil used to consecrate priests or prophets or kings in the Old Testament because that oil had other ingredients to that oil. Now this is an oil, an olive oil that was poured upon this offering. The oil is often symbolic, and I believe here it's in symbolic for joy and gladness. That here, mixed with the fine flour, is mixed joy and gladness of the Spirit. Listen to Isaiah 61. In fact, why don't you turn with me in your Bible to Isaiah 61. Beginning at verse 1. And here we have a, a prophetic text of the Lord Jesus Christ who is anointed by the Spirit at His baptism, inaugurating His messianic mission and establishing His kingdom. But look how He's anointed. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garments of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. It seems that the oil here poured is symbolic of a celebration, a joyful gladness of the spirits. Mixed in, poured upon, immersed upon the labor of the worshiper. Psalm 45 says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, your, therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. The oil symbolizes the joy and gladness of the Spirit and each man's work as it is offered to the Lord is offered in the Spirit. In the joy and gladness of the Spirit, for apart from the Spirit, the worshiper's labors are in vain. God requires a perfect, undefiled labor at the hands of the worshiper. It must be set apart and sanctified by the Spirit so that we can offer a sacrifice of gratitude to God. 
the fine flour, the oil, the frankincense. God commands that a costly and rich fragrance called frankincense be used. It's to be put on top of the offering. It was one of the gifts given to Jesus by the wise men, which was common in that culture in the ancient Near East. When someone became king, diplomats would come from other nations and give frankincense, which symbolized divinity or deity. But frankincense also symbolized prayer. In fact, in Malachi chapter 1, we read this, read this, From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name. Prayer will be offered in my name. There's a symbolic gesture of incense, and a pure offering will be offered. For not my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. When the offerings were burnt at the altar, the incense made a sweet and pleasant aroma. So this incense symbolized the prayers of God's people before God. Psalm 141 says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And we also see this in the New Testament Scriptures where incense symbolizes prayer of God's people before the Lord. And so we have fine flour mixed or smothered with oil and prayer, frankincense, placed on top of it and put on the altar by the priest. That's a holy work to the Lord. That's a work blessed by the Spirit, offered in prayer. But notice, what's not permitted, what's not permitted is leaven or honey, because leaven or honey corrupt. They cause fermentation and decay. And leaven, we know in Scripture, symbolizes wickedness. Jesus warns His disciples of the leaven of wickedness in Matthew chapter 16. Beware of the scribes and Pharisees and their leaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul warns the Corinthians, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so there's symbolic meaning in this grain offering. It's supposed to be a pure, undefiled offering before the Lord. Every ingredient matters. Every ingredient matters to God. And lastly here, the significance of the salt. We see there also that in verse 13, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Contrary to the leaven and the honey which caused corruption, decay, which symbolized malice and evil, 
You are to season it with salt, which symbolized preservation, God's provision, God's faithfulness to His covenants, that He accepts His people, He accepts the worshiper. This too was not an unknown act in those days. For example, it is said that among the Arabs, when a, when a covenant is made between two different parties, it is the custom that each eat salt, which is passed around on the blade of a sword by which they regard themselves as bound to be true, each to each other, even at the peril of life. In like manner in India and other European or Eastern countries, there was this salt covenant that was made and a breach of covenant would mean life. And they would call it being unfaithful to the salt, the salt covenant. Essentially what's happening, happening here is that the salt of the covenant with God is, is, is about trust. That this offering is seasoned with salt. There's a faithfulness here, a trust between the worshiper and the Lord. Congregation, the grain or meal offering is a holy field or food prescribed by God, a holy food prepared for the sacrifice and offered on the altar by the priests only. Only the priest was able to take a portion from the worshiper and offer it on the fire of the altar along with the burnt offering. This followed the burnt offering. And these two, the burnt offering and grain offering, were offered daily, morning and evening. It was a clean, pure, and holy food offered to the Lord with thanksgiving and gladness of heart and with prayer. Seasoned with salt, God shows His people that He is faithful to preserve them and they can trust him. Those are the ingredients. Let's look at the priest's labor and how he offers the sacrifice by looking at the memorial portion and the holy part of the Lord's food offerings. The memorial portion we see in verses 2, 9, and 16 after he describes the way in which an offering can be given, the way it can be made, with the flour, with the oil, with the frankincense. It is to be a portion to be taken by the priest and offered as a memorial portion, a remembrance. Literally, a remembrance. A remembrance of what? A remembrance of God's goodness and provision. A remembrance of God's salvation. A remembrance that God causes blessing to abound among His people, especially in the land that He is giving them in the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. The Lord sees the worshiper's offering of thanksgiving and hears their prayers. This is a memorial offering, a memorial portion given to the Lord. What happens to the rest of it? The scriptures say here, in each section, 
but the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is the most holy part of the Lord's food offering. And so part of it goes on the burnt offering, and part of it goes to the sons of Aaron. In God's law, the Levitical priests, all the tribe of Levi, had no portion or inheritance in the land. They had to trust in God's provision, God's providence, and God provided through the means of His people. And so they partook of the sacrifice. In the burnt offering, when the worshiper filleted the animal, skinned the animal, the skin belonged to the priests. We see that in Leviticus chapter 7, which says the priest who offers any man's burnt offering shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering that he has offered. And now here for the grain offering, this is for Aaron's household only. A holy food for Aaron and his sons, the priests. It's a lot of information. Why does God prescribe such a detailed offering in the grain offering? Why these ingredients? How is this fulfilled? We say that these sacrificial laws are foreshadowed or foreshadow the coming of Christ. How so? When we examine the grain offering, what is going on? How does the grain offering foreshadow the reality Jesus Christ? How is Jesus Christ the offerer, the offering, and the priest in the grain offering? Because indeed, He is all three. He is the offerer, in the sense that he is the perfect man who offered a perfect work on behalf of an imperfect people. Remember that the Lord Jesus came to do the will of his Father in heaven, and his works, his labors are perfect. In John 3, he says to his disciples, My food is to do the will of my Father to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. His work is a living sacrifice. Just like the grain offering was the worshiper's sacrifice of thanksgiving and the offering of His works to God. Well, it points to the perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ who offered His life, His labors to the glory of His God and Father. He is the true Israelite who can offer a perfect work. And he did it for us. He gave his life on the altar of the cross. The altar that I said, the burnt offering took place. Remember the altar was elevated from the rest of the earth, the rest of the area. Well, Jesus was lifted up on the altar of the cross for all to see. As he gave his life as a ransom for many. The one who before the cross ate the Passover meal with his disciples. 
The one who during the course of his ministry called himself the bread of life. That whoever eats of him shall never hunger or die. The one who is the true food, true drink. The one who at the Passover said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, his death is the memorial portion. He is the fulfillment of this sacrificial law in the sense that his work, his labor was glorious and perfect and acceptable to God. And so this offering drew the worshiper's attention to the one pure offering, the true work of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Yes, we needed a Savior to die for our sins, but we needed a Savior to live 30-some years of life in righteousness and in truth, to live a life that we could not live and do a work that we could not do and offer himself in a way that we could not offer ourselves. And he lays down his life and gives us the sacrament of holy communion, a meal. We celebrate the Lord's Supper, holy communion, or otherwise known as the Eucharist in some traditions, which is a good word. Comes from the word Eucharisto, which means I give thanks. Did you know that? Did you know that the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is a thanksgiving offering? It's a Eucharist, it's a feast of thanksgiving because of the work of Christ. And the Eucharist isn't for the priests only. It's not for the pastors. Like back in the medieval period, the lay people were not allowed to eat and drink. It was only the priests who were behind the chancel that were allowed to eat and drink. No, Jesus is the bread of life. And everyone who eats of him shall live. And he gives us this sacrament of Holy Communion, so we feast upon the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, which is signified in the bread and the wine. And we are to take these holy elements, these ordinary elements that are become holy elements, and take us to the heavenly places where Jesus is. Because we are priests unto our God. You are a priest of God and therefore a partaker of his body and blood. Jesus is the offerer, the offering, and the priest who is anointed by the Spirit to intercede for the people of God. That is how it's accomplished in Christ. That's how the sacrificial law is accomplished by Jesus. What does God require of us as Christians who belong to Jesus, who trust in Jesus? 
But because of Jesus, we offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And in the name of the Lord, we offer our labors in service to the Lord, to the glory of His name. We offer our labors to the Lord with gratitude to God for His abundant blessing and provision and salvation. And we are able to do this because of His Spirit. His Spirit granted to us, which is symbolized in this offering and is bathed in, this, in, this, in prayer. I'm going to close with Hebrews chapter 13. The author says, through Him, through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. They are pleasing to God, friends, because they have been sanctified by God, by the blood of Christ. Sanctified by Christ. To the glory of God. So when you labor, when you not only commit your life to the Lord, looking to Jesus, you commit your labors to the Lord because you look to Jesus. And because you are dwelt with the Spirit and you pray, pray in the Spirit. that the fruit of the Spirit may dwell in us and through us and in us to the glory of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus Christ has accomplished a perfect work. He has labored perfectly and his work was a pleasing aroma in your sight, O God. And through the Messiah, through Christ, we labor not in our own strength, but we labor in the name of the Lord and by the power of your Spirit, offering sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise to your name. O Father in heaven, we pray that you would bless the ministry of your word and grant us ears to hear and eyes to see how indeed Christ is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. How he indeed is the reality of these shadows. Oh, help us look to the reality, the Lord Jesus Christ. And find our salvation and our blessing in Him. In Jesus' name.